The emissaries whom Jesus had sent out returned, and Jesus took them away from the crowds for a time of retreat in a city called Bethsaida. They gave Jesus a full report of their accomplishments and experiences, but soon this, the crowds discovered where they were and pursued him. Jesus didn't turn them away. He welcomed them, spoke of the kingdom of God to them, and brought health to those who needed healing. So picture what happened while in Bethsaida, where Jesus and his, ta- and his disciples were spending time with the crowds. The sun is low in the sky, and soon it will be dusk. The twelve come to Jesus with advice. Send the crowd away so they can find lodging and food in the nearby villages and countryside. We're out here in the middle of, the, of nowhere. What? No. You give them something to eat. Are you kidding? There are at least 5,000 men here, not to mention women and children. All we have are five loaves and two fish. The only way we could provide for them would be to go to the nearby city and buy cartloads of food. That would cost a small fortune. Here, just do this. Organize them in little communities of about 50 people each and have them sit down. They do what Jesus says, and soon groups of 50 are scattered across the landscape. Then Jesus takes the five loaves and two fish, and he looks up to heaven. He praises God for the food, takes each item, and breaks it into fragments. Then he gives fragments to the 12 disciples and tells them to distribute the food to the crowd. Everyone eats. Everyone is satisfied. Nobody goes away hungry. In fact, when the disciples recover the leftovers, they have 12 baskets full of broken pieces. Thank you, Laura, and uh, the youth for that presentation. The scriptures, especially the gospels, come to us to tell us stories. And sometimes we feel like the best way to treat these scriptures is to uh, treat them reverentially. We read them in in Old English, and uh, we read them uh, sad-faced and serious. Uh, but when we see people moving like that, uh, it brings it to life. So Laura read from uh, The Voice, which is a translation of the Bible, which takes uh, famous passages and makes them uh, a sort of a reader's theater kind of thing, where people can enact them and uh, are presented more visually like that, which sounds a little bit inconsistent uh, with us from the way that we're used to reading Scripture, uh, but for most of the church's history, the, the vast majority of people in the church couldn't read. And so the only way that the scriptures were absorbed was by listening to other people read them to you. And so then you had to uh, take somebody else's emphases, you had to take somebody else's personal journey from their reading into, into your own reading. So... Uh, <clears throat> I really know for myself, it's important for my faith that I read Scripture at home in quiet by myself, Uh, but reading Scripture, seeing Scripture like that really helps us to uh, get deeper into the story. 
The passage that I'm looking at today is uh, from Luke chapter 9, so uh, you've, you've seen uh, verses 10 to 18 presented, and I'm going to go a little bit deeper into chapter 9 for this. But whenever we uh, look at a story, it's helpful to sort of get a context of what's happening. Uh, there are a few, uh, a few more than 20 chapters in Luke. Luke is uh, almost half over by the time we get to uh, chapter 9. But Jesus has gathered his disciples. He started to do some of his proclaiming work. He started to do some of his healing work. But Jesus is now, in the Gospel of Luke, getting ready to go out. He spends the next bunch of chapters on the road. He's He's, he's walking through Palestine, or Philistine territory. He's walking through uh, <clears throat> Samaritan territory. He's, he's walking through places that are uncomfortable for him and for his disciples. And so he has to get them ready. Now, Jesus is a lot of things. He's a teacher. He's a healer. Uh, but in this context, he is a leader. He is getting these 12 men ready for their uh, discipleship training. A lot of us go through leadership training. We follow a leader sometimes. Uh, and sometimes, even if the leader falls, we continue to follow the leader because that's what we know how to do. Uh, there was a story a while ago uh, that I was following from uh, South Korea because I lived there uh, I still feel emotionally invested in what the people of that country uh, experience. And the way that Korea works, it's a peninsula, a little bit like Florida, and then there's a, there's a little island that belongs to them just off the, the south coast. It's a tropical island. It's beautiful. They grow uh, delicious little mandarin oranges there. There's all sorts of volcanic rock statues, beautiful waterfalls. It's a great place to go. Uh, and so a lot of times people would historically go there for honeymoons. Uh, now it's a, lot of, uh, it's a popular place for high school seniors to go with their school trip as a sort of graduation celebration. Uh, so there was a whole bunch of high school students that were traveling to this island, and they, were, they had boarded a ferry to get to the island, and something happened. The ship ran aground. It had misread where the rocks were. And so the ship was uh, at an angle, it was taking on water, and uh, it seemed the crew wasn't prepared for this. Uh, They didn't know what to do, they hadn't ever had to evacuate the ship before, and so while they were waiting to figure out what to do, they made the announcement, uh, everything is under control, stay in your rooms, we will give you instructions shortly. Now, some of you have, have traveled a lot before. When you go to airports, when you ride on buses, when you ride on trains, there are these announcements from time to time. A lot of times the, the technology and the speakers are so bad you can hardly understand them. But these people, these young people, heard the announcement that said everything was under control. Stay in your room. So they did. Well, the hallways flooded with water. Uh, the doors were, you couldn't open them because of the pressure of all of the water. And a lot of these teenagers died. They, they drowned because they followed the instructions of their leaders. 
Now, uh, a lot of uh, countries in that part of the world are, are more hierarchical that they give their leaders ultimate power and whatever the leader says, everybody does. And it can be a great place to be a pastor because, boy, the, the privilege that, that those pastors get is uh, <clears throat> kind of feeds your ego, like somehow you're, you're an important person because everybody is just following whatever you say. Well, it was an incredible tragedy. Uh, when that many people die, uh, the, the face of the nation is, uh, is on all of those families, all of the friends of those kids. There were a few kids who died. Uh, no, sorry, I mean, uh, there were a few kids who survived. Uh, they survived because they didn't listen. They were rebellious, and they left the rooms. And so they were interviewed on TV, uh, that they had survived. What, was the room, what were the rooms like? Uh, do you miss your friends? All of these kinds of things that people would ask those children in those contexts. And you know what those kids said? They apologized. They apologized to their teachers who they had dishonored. They apologized to their parents who they had dishonored by breaking the rules and leaving. Because they hadn't followed the leader. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to follow instructions, and they hadn't. And here they were. And so to, to add to this, we have uh, what we call survivor's guilt sometimes. Why do we survive and the other people didn't? Maybe it would have been better if they survived and, and we didn't. So you could see this, these complex emotions were with these children. Two weeks after that, uh, there was in Seoul, not... Uh, not on a, on a ferry this time. Uh, Seoul is, is a large city. 20 million people live there. Uh, large, intricate transit system, uh, including quite a few uh, underground trains. And so there was a, a subway car. Uh, I don't know if it was one car or a whole train of them. Anyway, something was jammed. Uh, there was some kind of problems. And so over the loudspeaker, uh, a familiar message came out. The message said... Uh, we're having minor technical difficulties. Everything is under control. Please stay in the car. Now, this makes sense in the context of uh, a train system where there were tracks on either side of the vehicle. Uh, there are, there's electric power that isn't as covered up as it would be because nobody is supposed to be walking through there. Uh, this was a dangerous area, especially for a car full of people so at a lot of levels, it made sense to stay in the car. They were, they were in no danger in the car. There was no gases being leaked. Uh, there was certainly no water coming in. It made sense to stay in the car. But it was so clear on their minds, an announcement coming from a loudspeaker saying, don't go anywhere, uh, that this was not to be trusted. And in that short period of time, uh, the ultimate trust given to the loudspeaker voice had switched to distrust. Everybody got out of the train. And uh, nothing bad happened, thankfully. Uh, nobody got hit by another train. Nobody uh, touched something they weren't supposed to and, and got hurt that way. Uh, but it was a big hassle to get them all back into the train because they had stopped trusting their leader. Was it safe? What kind of gases were there? What exactly were the mechanical problems? Do the brakes work? Does the engine work? We don't know. We don't trust this car. We don't trust the speaker. We don't trust the leader. 
leadership is an important thing in our society. And while we uh, keep our leaders accountable, we're supposed to um, we're supposed to choose leaders who are of exceptional exceptional moral character. Uh, that doesn't always happen. Uh, but we're supposed to follow what the leaders tell us and trust what they tell us. And when we can't do that, we feel anxious. If you didn't vote for the leader in place, uh, then you feel less loyal to the area that's, uh, that's being led. If you didn't vote for the leader that's in charge, you feel a lot less secure in your economy a lot less secure in the infrastructure of the province, of the country that you used to rely on. And so you want to follow the leader. We all want to follow a good leader. But what do we expect our leaders to do? So in the first part of Luke chapter 9, uh, this is before the, script, the passage that was read for us, we find Jesus getting his disciples together, and he's going to send them out. He has a job for them to do. Uh, this is also partly training for what's coming up. Jesus is going to be going with them to unfamiliar territory. And so he's sending them out on a, on a small mini mission to do the same kinds of things that they will all be doing together later on and that they will need to do when Jesus is gone. Right? A good leader prepares uh, his or her followers to continue the work after that leader isn't there anymore. So here we are. Jesus has called the 12 together. He's given them a job to do. And here's the interesting part. He has removed much of the security that they would normally feel. So here's uh, in the last part in verse 3. It says, take nothing for the journey, no walking stick, no bag, no bread, no money, not even an extra shirt. So what can we take from this uh, strange thing that a leader would say to, to his followers? Well, we could take from this that maybe they're not actually going that far away. Uh, people would have done most of their traveling by uh, walking in those days, and so if they're going to visit another village in walking distance then maybe the plan was just to walk there for the day and see what happens. You're not bringing an extra day's clothes. Uh, you're not bringing uh, food. So if nobody feeds you, that's fine. Just deal with it. Uh, but don't bring food so that you're still relying on other people. Now, this is an interesting way to travel. Uh, it's one thing to do this on your own. And people do this for spiritual disciplines all the time. Uh, they go a day or, or even longer without eating. Uh, we call it fasting. It's, it's a spiritual uh, ritual that a lot of people do. It helps sometimes, if, if, you, if you do it right, it helps to train your body to learn about the importance of food, and you're supposed to then want God as badly as you want that food. But to do this in a foreign context... Is, is especially strange. Uh, so this probably isn't terribly foreign. There probably would have been uh, cultural similarities. They probably would have known at least what kind of food to expect from people. But in your travels, 
if you've ever stumbled upon the generosity of strangers. Uh, You will know the risks that that involves, and you will know the beauty that that can provide. So Jesus says, take nothing. Uh, Don't take a a walking stick that you can rely on something else. Uh, Don't take a bag of your own stuff so that you're relying on your own planning. Don't take food so that you're relying on your own goodness. Don't take money so that you can uh, make your own choices. You're going to go there. You're going to eat the food that people give you. And that's all you're going to eat. Right? Because when we travel now, traveling has changed quite a bit, even in my relatively short life. Uh, It used to be, I remember we would do these long trips. We lived in southern Ontario, and we would drive up to Manitoba. Sometimes we would visit uh, family there, or when I was a teenager, we would go there for uh, youth conferences. And uh, on the way, somebody, usually the driver, hopefully the driver, somebody knew the way that you took this highway until that town, and then you turned on a different highway until another town, and eventually you would get there with that sort of memory of turns. And if you wanted to know, okay, how far are we along? Well, why would you want to know that? How far until the next town? Well, who cares? What does it matter? Well, sure, we have an atlas. So you would bring out a road atlas. You guys remember these road atlases, these big books, and you would find the province or the state that you were driving through, you might remember, oh yeah, 10 minutes ago we drove, drove through this little town called Ypsilanti. Let's see if I can find that. And then you're looking around, oh yeah, we were on this road. Then you might find it. And then you could see, okay, well, in it uh, looks like about 10 kilometers, we'll be in another town that looks by the size of the dot on the map, they might have restaurants there. So then you start planning lunch. Well, we're hungry now, we're going to stop in this town, and whatever restaurants they have... We will eat there. Right? So there's kind of a a resignation to, we'll just deal with whatever they have. Well, now, we don't have to worry about that. Right now, an hour ahead of time, you can uh, see the whole layout of which towns have which restaurants, how long it'll take to get there, how far off the road they are. And you can do that uh, just even just using your voice, if you know how to use your phone properly. So there's no relying on what you find there. Uh, One of of those trips to Manitoba, we were driving through northern Michigan. uh, And this is uh, deer hunting country and not much else. So we're driving through there and the uh, fuel pump broke on the van. And we had driven farther than we should have, but we got to this town and the leaders were going to go find a mechanic, and we youth would sit at the local diner. Well, there were a little bit more than a dozen of us teenagers, and there was a group of regulars. Well, not a lot happened in that town, so our arrival was entertainment for them. So they uh, stared just long enough uh, to let their curiosity overcome them, and they came over to chat with us. Where were we from? Where were we going? Uh, what were we studying in school, all of those things. Well, somebody mentioned to them, well, yeah, we're just here. uh, We came in this trip. The van has a fuel pump, um, and the guys are out looking for them. We don't know really what to expect. Well, it was, uh, I don't know if, I don't think it was a Saturday, but 
the, this, the businesses were closed. It might have been a holiday. And so the local mechanic wasn't running. The local uh, equivalent of Canadian Tire, whatever that was in northern Michigan, was, was closed. And so they were taking a long time, and here we were drinking coffee with these locals. And, uh, well, they knew better than we did, of course, who would be the right person to call to get a fuel pump for a 1987 uh, GMC van, right? Well, uh, they started making calls. We really didn't know what was going on. Um, we told them a little bit of our story. They uh, said, hey, let's, uh, let's go talk to somebody. They went over to the kitchen, made a few phone calls. And before our leaders came back, you know, getting ready to tell us the bad news, they couldn't fix the van, we're sticking around for, for a day. Well, the mechanic was, was on his way to the restaurant. And we were on the road in an hour or two. Uh, the pr profound beauty of that encounter has, has stuck with me. As a teenage boy, I probably wouldn't have used the word beauty at the time. Uh, but here we were sitting in a restaurant um, that had a menu we didn't completely trust and had a whole bunch of people that we had more or less ignored. We were just sticking safely in our little corner of the restaurant. Well, they fed us. Uh, they knew that we were in you know, that we were travelers and we were sticking around for a while, so they gave us a discount on, on the food. Uh, they were so kind to us because we were travelers. They were happy to see us. They were happy to see our youthful enthusiasm. Uh, some of them were people of faith, and they were happy to hear that we were traveling to a church-type event. And so they received us graciously in the absence of our leaders. Right here we were relying on our leaders, um, but we should have been relying on our local hosts. So when Jesus tells his followers, you're going to go out there and you're not going to bring any food. Right? In, in a lot of people's uh, estimation, this would be sort of a foolish thing to say. Uh, it would certainly sound foolish um, if you don't like venturing out that way. And I more or less like to keep to myself when I'm traveling as well, even though I have uh, experiences, more than one experience like that one. <clears throat> I don't like asking for things uh, from strangers, uh, partly because they also might give it to me. I might, I'm afraid they might say no, and I'm also afraid they might say yes. Right? So if you're hungry and you ask somebody for food, uh, they might give you something, but you might not want it, right? Which means you're either not all that hungry um, or you're letting your individual uh, tastes interfere with somebody else's understanding of graciousness, of hospitality, of generosity. And so this is what Jesus is saying. Inherent in these limitations uh, are instructions. Sure, there are some foods you don't like, tough. Whatever they give you, eat it. Uh, you're not sticking around. You're not going to be extra comfortable. You want to change into a different shirt after walking a long distance and sweating into the first one? No, you're wearing the same normal one. Somebody wants to give you an extra shirt, you can wear it, uh, but don't bring extra for yourself. All of these things uh, would have made the trip more difficult, but it meant that when they were in that village, they were in, they were invested in what was happening in that village. 
So Jesus is leading here by taking away uh, what they would normally be relying on. And it would sound foolish to the disciples. It might sound foolish to some of us if somebody now were to give us those instructions. Uh, But the intent was for them to be more fully present, to be more fully with the people there. So there's, there's that passage. The, the 12 disciples, they go out, they go to the neighboring communities. And then there's this uh, little paragraph, uh, just three verses, verses 7, 8, and 9, uh, sort of in between these two halves of the same story, uh, where we see that Herod was hearing about what was happening with Jesus. Uh, King Herod is in charge Uh, He's not a good man, he's not a well-respected man, but he is a powerful man and a wealthy man. And so when he's interested in what's happening with Jesus, uh, this probably isn't a good thing. Uh, Because when someone like this has a lot of power and he's interested in somebody else's growing power, then he will either see that power as a threat or he will try to uh, take over that power and compromise that power. So Herod expressing interest in what Jesus is doing is not exceptionally welcome. That would not be a good thing. Especially given the timing of it, because Herod has just executed John the Baptist. So here's Jesus. We don't know what he's doing as the disciples are, are out Um, But it seems to be that this is when Jesus hears that John has died. So his disciples are are out there uh, proclaiming the kingdom. They're uh, doing all of the things that Jesus had taught them to do, had empowered them to do. And and that's that's a good thing for a leader. When you see the people that you are in charge of going out and doing good things on their own, when you see the excitement that they have, wow, this is a good time for Jesus. It should be, except he's now hearing that John has died. Because this is what happened. John had power. John had popularity. People liked John. And people didn't like Herod. So, Herod could either try to backpack on John's popularity and get John to say good things about Herod, Um, or he has to get John out of the way. And John wasn't so easily corrupted. Uh, John looked at Herod's family situation. uh, John looked at who Herod had taken as a wife, and he knew that he couldn't just say, okay, Herod, everything's fine here. John spoke up. Uh, John stuck his neck out, as we say, uh, and it didn't end well for John. So, The same thing will be true for Jesus. Now, we know how the story of Jesus ends, uh, but here in this story, uh, we can see that Jesus is now starting to realize his power is growing, and then so is the threat from the other powers. So here is uh, John. Uh, He's been killed. Uh, There's suspicion from King Herod. Uh, that John had special powers, but he killed John, right? I beheaded John. I'm stronger than John. I have more power than John. So who is this next guy? Uh, I'd like to see him. I want to know what his story is. And when a man of power and 
uh, influence like Herod wants to see you, he has ways of seeing you. So all of this is happening. Jesus is sending out his followers, and at the same time, he's becoming more aware of the threats in his life, uh, the, the timeline that he's working with. And then all of this informs the next story. Uh, Rick, can you just click on the other screen there? There we go. Oh, that's fine. All right, so um, this is just verse 12. You've, you've heard the whole story. Now, the disciples have, have come back from this mission. So here is Jesus. He's carrying with him the, the grief of his, of his friend, his, his relative, who's, who's now died at the hands of King Herod. He's, he's coming to terms with the idea that the same reason that John died um, means that Jesus, too, is at risk. And not just Jesus. Like, there are times where we can accept, hey, this is a risky thing for me. I can deal with that. But then here come his followers. All of them are now at risk. Right? What was, what was John doing while well, he was proclaiming the kingdom? And he was baptizing people. What did Jesus ask his followers to do? They went out to proclaim the kingdom. Right? So Jesus is now inviting arrest and uh, execution on himself and also on his followers. Now, the followers are a little bit less aware, although uh, you know, devoted and, and wise enough to go out and proclaim the kingdom like they're doing. They come together, they're excited about what they've accomplished. They have stories to tell. We always have stories to tell from our travels. They have stories to tell, and they withdrew. It says they withdrew privately. So Jesus, his disciples, they just get away. Jesus wants to debrief, as as leaders say now. Tell me your stories, and then we can use them as learning opportunities for everybody else. And then maybe Jesus could say, okay, guys, by the way, uh, John has died. Um, All of us are in danger now. Uh, We need to prepare. We need to think. But all of these difficult conversations would have happened within this private retreat. But the private retreat doesn't stay private very long. You see, Jesus has uh, enough popularity that people find out that he is there and they want to hear him. So... Uh, a good leader now would say, uh, no, I need to recharge my batteries. I'm, I'm declining speaking engagements for a little while. Um, or he could say, listen, I'm focusing on leadership development right now, so we're not going to do this public speaking thing. We're just going to take a break. Um, or he could announce, hey, listen, I'm going to be in your towns uh, next week, and uh, there's going to be a big speaking tour. No, they had come to hear Jesus. Jesus was going to speak to them. So, with all of this on Jesus' mind, right, he sets aside what was important at that time, and he's speaking to the crowds. The crowds have come, uh, they have come wanting to learn, they have come wanting to encounter God, they have come with good intentions, and Jesus honors those good intentions, even if it means having to set aside his own personal well-being, having to set aside his own teaching time with his disciples, So he teaches them. And so, uh, what do the disciples think about this uh, shift in plans? 
You see, they were ready for uh, some, some closer time. They were ready for some instruction. They were ready to, to share stories, right? It's sort of their turn to talk now. So we don't really know what they were thinking. And there were different depictions of the disciples. Did they have their stuff together or not? Uh, different writers present it differently. But here the disciples are looking over the crowd and they're also thinking about themselves, we all do. And uh, they've sort of waited long enough, they've heard enough of Jesus talking, and then they come to him here in verse 12. It says, When the day was almost over, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowds away so that they can go to the nearby villages and countryside and find lodging and food, because we are in a deserted place. Send them away. Send them back to their towns because we can't feed them. Right? This, is what, this is what they are thinking. Uh, we can't feed them. They, it doesn't look like they brought food for themselves. So send them away. They can take care of themselves. Then we will take care of ourselves. We'll do our thing. <clears throat> it's interesting when we put these two stories together, uh, what we see is that the disciples are saying, uh, these people need food, uh, so let them go somewhere else to get food. Just shortly before, Jesus had said, okay, you need to go somewhere and don't bring any food. And then here, the disciples are saying, listen, these people have come here and they didn't bring any food. Right? <clears throat> these people had come to learn from Jesus in exactly the same state that Jesus had sent his disciples out. Right? These guys aren't prepared. They're not ready to, uh, to stay longer. Uh, so you need to send them away. Right? And then Jesus, in some ways, says, uh, listen, you feed them. Remember I sent you away to feed yourselves without anything? Uh, now you have nothing. Now feed these guys. Right? The people had come with a willingness to learn. The people had come committed to what they were doing. They were present in that place. Right? In the same way that the disciples had gone into new places to be present, these uh, 5,000 men and their families had come, and they were present. They were in the moment. They were ready to learn. So what Jesus does looks foolish to us. It looks like he's kind of just uh, <clears throat> sending the disciples out uh, with no preparation, uh, as though that's a better way. And then uh, these other people have come with no preparation. And uh, Jesus says, yeah, they haven't prepared whatever. That's fine. Right? Most leaders I know, if you're not prepared, uh, they tell you that, okay, the consequences of your not being prepared are on you. You didn't prepare. That's part of, uh, that's part of this journey is, is preparing. The people have come without food. They didn't prepare. And Jesus says, Good. We will feed them. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus appears to our untrained eyes as a foolish leader, uh, taking unnecessary risks and celebrating the unnecessary risks that other people take. Uh, but this is where we find ourselves in the story, right? Do you have your stuff together? Are you fully prepared for all the difficulties of life? Probably not. Uh, and even when you think you are, things change. So, is Jesus ready for you? Is Jesus going to tell you, yeah, you should have prepared better? No. 
you are in the moment. Jesus is in the moment with you. Right? Have you prepared for the difficulties of your life? Well, if you have or if you haven't, Jesus is there with you. Jesus will lead us and he will guide us through our difficulties, whether or not we have prepared, whether or not we are ready, whether or not we know what we are doing. So this is the leader that we have chosen. This is the leader that we are walking behind. Uh, And so may we continue to follow with faithfulness as Jesus promises to walk with us in the good and in the bad. Amen.